Hey, thanks so much for joining us at our Red Rocks Church podcast. If you're new here, we're just a bunch of broken, messed up, imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. We hope that this message encourages your heart, builds your faith so that you can say yes to all of the plans and the purposes of God for your life. Enjoy this message. The title of today's message is Five Reasons the Bible Will Change Your Life. Five Reasons the Bible Will Change Your Life. We started this series called Five Reasons last week, thanks to Douglas Weckenman. And um, I normally like to start my messages out by making fun of Doug or Ronnie or Conrad or somebody, but we don't have time because he called it five reasons. Why couldn't he called it three reasons? Three reasons is easier to preach. It gives me way more time. It's five reasons. So we got business to get to, so I don't have too much time to horse around, so we got to get right into this. Have you ever heard somebody tell you, you ought to read the Bible. You ought to spend some time in God's Word. The Bible will change your life. And if you had like thought bubbles that everybody else could see, the first one would be, "Uh uh-huh, I know. Have you ever been told you ought to read the Bible? And the truth is, if you were put on a polygraph test and someone said, do you you actually understand why? Your answer might be, "Mm mm-hmm. How does this thing actually work? What's it supposed to do? Will it really change your life? Do you believe that? On a polygraph test? Probably not. Do you know where to start? Not really. Do you feel adequate enough to get into the Bible and to hear from God? No. I mean, that would be a lot of our answers, wouldn't it? It's okay. We can tell the truth in church today. Loosen up. Exhale. We could be honest, right? I remember I got saved at 24, and I got saved at a church in Illinois, and then I flew back to L.A. where I lived, and someone handed me a Bible and a Max Licato book, the New Believers Starter Pack right there, (laughs) Bible and Max. And I read Max Licato on the plane, and it was one step above a children's book. Like, I loved it. It even had pictures. I was like, this is fantastic. And then I got to L.A., and I was like, I don't know what to do with this Bible, all these different authors and different things and different themes and like, what? And, and I remember I would go to this little coffee shop in, in Hollywood and, and I would sit out on this little patio because it's always nice. And um, I would get my Bible and I'd lay the Bible out and I'd get a cup of coffee. And I'd put my pack of smokes right there and my lighter right there. And I was just like, I'm so spiritual. No clue. Like, what am I supposed to do with this thing? I started in the beginning, and I was like, Adam and Eve. All right. What, what, how am I supposed to apply this? And I was like, ah, flip a couple chapters over. And I hit, like, sacrificial systems. And I was like, read the Bible. It'll change your life. He took a baby lamb to the altar. What? I got over in the New Testament, started reading about adults getting circumcised, free will choice, no proper anesthesia. I can't tell you how stupid I felt. Have you ever thought, man, I need to hear from God, I want to hear from God? You open up this thing and go, huh? It's real, right? 
five reasons why the Bible will change your life. You know, I was thinking about myself sitting at that coffee shop, smoking my cigarettes and trying real hard and feeling real stupid. And I don't know why, but this thought hit me this week. I wonder what God was thinking. I think God was watching me and couldn't be more proud. I'm not endorsing cigarette usage, Conrad. I just think he was. In fact, I think he was like, guys, come here. Look at my boy. He's trying. He doesn't understand I created him and communication and my word, and he doesn't have to get it. I'm going to talk to him no matter what, how he feels, how stupid he feels, how great he feels, how inadequate he feels. I created him. I created communication. I gave him my word. I'm going to change his life through that thing. Look at my boy try. What if you started to look at your time in the Bible as, as opposed to like, I've got to be a scholar and I've got to understand it and I got to get it and I got to know it and I got, I'm just trying because God created me and God created communication and he wants to speak to me and he gave me his word. And so I bet if I try, he will, right? And just free yourself up a little bit. Let that, I feel stupid, just go away and go, I'm just going to get in the word and let God take care of the heavy lifting because I don't get it all. Five reasons. I think the Bible will change our lives. Number one, it connects us to our Heavenly Father. And, and you know what? Before I do that, let me back up. I want to read. Sorry, guys, I forgot it. Let me read 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, because this is sort of the foundation for the whole talk today. All Scripture is God-breathed. That means inspired by God. Notice that it says all, not part. I know there's a lot of opinions going on these days. I want you to know where Red Rocks Church stands. We believe that he meant what he said when he said all scripture is God-breathed, not the parts I like, not the parts culture likes, not the parts I understand, not the parts I don't want to argue about, not the parts I want to ask him questions about when I get to heaven. We believe that he meant what he said, every single word inspired by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, that's us, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God says, I gave you this thing for a reason. I'm going to help you with every single aspect of your life till you get to heaven to be with me. And I'm going to show you how to get there. And every single part of it, not the parts you like, not the parts you agree with, all scripture is God-breathed. Five reasons I think it'll change your life. Here we go. We're going to rewind that. Number one, connects us to our heavenly father. Second Corinthians 6, 18. And I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. You know, even before I got saved, if you would have asked me at, at the height of my rebellion, if you'd have said, hey, if you could actually know God, would you want to? Like, I'm not talking about hear about him, be around church people. I'm talking about if you could, like, know the creator of the universe, would you want to? I would have said yes. Yeah, that's really possible. The problem for me is, is if you'd asked me, do you think that's possible for you? I would have said no. I truthfully don't. That's why I don't want to have anything to do with it. I don't have all the education. I'm not good enough. I don't have khaki pants. Like, I won't fit in. I just can't do it. I'm out. What if, what if we could know him? See, I believe he gave us his word to go, sons, daughters, until we get to see each other face to face in heaven, 
I want you to know me. I want you to connect with me. My, my, um, my youth pastor, when I, at the church that I got saved at, I ended up moving back there and living in Illinois for several years. I went to her one day and I said, I don't get it. We were supposed to read the Bible for an hour every morning. Well, spend an hour with God, part of it being reading the Bible. I just finally got honest enough one day and I'm like, Look, I, I know everybody gets it, everybody's spiritual but me. I just, I don't know what I'm doing. And I don't get it and I don't understand it and it seems super disjointed and I can't figure it out. And she goes, let me make it real simple for you. She knew that I had never met my biological father. And she said, let me make it real simple for you. This is a love letter from your father. And what if you quit trying to figure it out? And what if you just opened it up and went, okay, this is my dad saying, I want you to know who I am. I want you to know how much I love you. I want to help you with every area of life that's going to be really confusing and hard. Just spend time with me and let me help you. I love you, dad. And that's what the Bible turned into for me. I read a quote this week from Billy Graham. He said, the Bible is God's love letter to us, telling us not only that he loves us, but showing us what he has done to demonstrate that love. We get in the Bible and we start to figure out all these things about our heavenly father. He's He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's, he could be everywhere at the same time. He's omnipresent. He's, he's the creator of the universe. He created us. He's, he's a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit, all in once. Bends the mind a little bit, right? Like we start learning all these things about who our Father was. But I'll tell you what it, what it shows me, and, and that's why I read you that quote and told you that little story about my youth pastor, because the number one thing I get from it and, and that helps me connect with my father is it reminds me that he loves me. Because I can't tell you how many days I feel like I'm just unlovable. And so this is a constant reminder that he loves me. And let it be a constant reminder of you, to you today, he loves you. The most famous verse this Sunday at the Broncos game will be John 3:16. For God so loved you and me that he gave everything. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Give thanks to the God of heaven his love endures forever. It's not going anywhere. It's not going to change. He's a father to the fatherless. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. He wants us to understand, and he tells us all the way through it. That's why many people call it a love letter, because he wants you to know nonstop, I know you're struggling. I love you. I know you're in a fight. I love you. I know you're in a battle. I love you. I know you're having a great day. I love you. I know you feel spiritual today. I love you. I know you don't feel spiritual today. I love you. I'm with you. You got this. A while back, I had had a rough day. And uh, I started getting, you, know, you ever have a rough day and, and one negative thought just becomes a domino and it just like, and all these negative thoughts. I started having a whole bunch of negative thoughts and my mind, it got really dark. It got to like, I'm overwhelmed. I can't do this job. I can't handle the pressure. My anxiety is going to flare up again. I don't know what to do. I just, it was just a, just a bad day. And so I called my wife and I said, babe, we need to talk. And of course, I just found out after our conversation that that's not the best thing to say and then not talk to her for a while. Because she was like, my mind was racing. <laughs> I got home and I just told her I'm just struggling. I'm just feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling like I can't handle the pressure. I'm, 
I feel like I'm called to lead this church, but I don't feel capable most days. And like I just, and I was even getting a little teary. And so now I'm like overwhelmed and a baby. And it was just, it was a bad day. And my wife, who's amazing, where are you at? She's right there. My wife, who's amazing, she's like, you know what you need? Oh, you can clap for my wife. Come on. The rock of this place. I talked to somebody right down here last week, and he's been around the church for a long time, and me and Jill were standing next to each other, and he said, something just occurred to me. The reason this place is what it is and that you're still a part of it is her. That's true, babe. I love you. So she said, you know what you need? You just need to spend some time with God. You ever been having a bad day and somebody tell you to read the Bible and you want to fight them? (laughs) I don't want to fight her. But if I'd have had that little bubble pop up of my real thoughts, it would have went, "Uh uh-huh. That'll help. (laughs) Did I not tell you I'm having a bad day? So I didn't listen to her. And I felt sorry for myself all night. Then I watched the Nuggets lose and got even more mad. Then I went to bed. Pray for our Nuggets. And um, I got up the next morning. I was like, I should. I'm going to read the Bible. And uh, I had just had a talk with my friend Jimmy, Uncle Jimmy. And I was telling him about my bad day and how I was feeling overwhelmed and pressure and I was hoping I wasn't going to start feeling anxiety again and all this stuff. And then I was like, hey, how's your day? He goes, ah, I don't want to tell you. You ever been having such a good day <laughs> that somebody's telling you how much their life is falling apart? And then they're like, how are you? And you're like, I'm amazing, but I can't tell them that. <laughs> That's how he felt. He's like, I don't want to tell you. I said, you had a good day, didn't you? He goes, mm-hmm, real good. I said, just tell me. He goes, man, I slept in. My dad came over and we just hung out. I went and played golf. I'm like, man, forget you. We're done. We're done. I got to go, okay? I wasn't jealous that he got to sleep in. I wasn't jealous that he played golf, but I was jealous, if I was honest, when he said my dad came over and we hung out. So I was having a hard day. And I don't know my dad and my mom's in heaven. And I was craving that, like, I wish I had a dad to come over and hug me today. Point me towards Jesus. Remind me of some spiritual truths. Just give me a hug. Jill said, read the Bible. I'm not even kidding you. I opened up the Bible that next morning, and here's what I read. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. It was like clear as day. You know what happened that day? I didn't even realize it. My dad came over and hung out. Gave me a hug. That's what we have in the word of God. We have this ability to connect with our heavenly father like nothing else. Don't let intimidation or I feel stupid keep you from it. 
I love the word of God, and I think it'll change your life because the Bible tells us what God thinks about us. Man, this is huge. I talked recently about dealing with criticism, and what I've realized as I started talking about that is, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm the biggest critic in my life. <laughs> I've met some of you that aren't. I've met some of you that, like, you're your biggest fan, and, and, and in your mind, you're always amazing, and um, I worry a little bit about you, but the truth is I'm jealous, because I'm just, I don't have that. I'm my biggest critic. And I have my whole life dealt with this. You're not good enough and you're not wanted and God won't want you and God can't use you and look at your screw ups and look at your mistakes and look at your faults and look how you still are. And I think Satan loves that. And if you've ever felt any of those things, I'm telling you, Satan will pour gasoline on that thought and continue whispering lies like that in your ear. You don't have enough. You don't have what it takes. Who are you kidding? This will never work. Don't you even try. It was the first time I ever sat in a church. And I've told you this before. The first time I ever sat in a church, I sat around and went, I need God, but I can't be this. I just can't. Like, and I know me. Like, I'll say I want it, but I'll mess it up eventually. I just can't do this. And, and, and what, I've, what, I've underst- what I understand now that I didn't that day is, I've still had that thought about a thousand times after putting my faith in Jesus. Because then I just, and then I heap more guilt on because now I'm a Christian and I still, I still deal with this. I still act like this. I still struggle with this. I'm still not perfect. And now I'm a pastor and I still, and I still, and I, and Satan loves it. He loves to, to pour gas on that fire. He loves to whisper lies in our ear about what we can't do. And I love the word of God because it demolishes those lies. And it reminds me of what my father actually thinks about me. Let it remind you today of what your father actually thinks about you. See what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. When you put your faith in Jesus, he did not hire you. He adopted you. He doesn't, he didn't hire you so you could go be a perfect employee and never screw up. And be better and be better and do more and do more. He said, no, I adopted you. You're my son. You're my daughter. That's how I see you. You don't work for my love. You have my love. Put those verses up on that screen, if you would, and I'll just read them. We're not going to read the actual verse, but you can take a screenshot of this if you want, whether on your device or in the room right now. This is what these verses are talking about. He accepts me no matter what. That's when Romans 10, 13, he values me so much that he gave everything for me. He didn't come to condemn me. He came to save me. He's not a dad who's mad at me with his arms crossed, sick and tired of my mistakes. He's a dad that runs to me with open arms in the driveway like he did in Luke chapter 15. And he's a dad who says, you not only have my love, you couldn't get rid of my love if you tried. On your worst day, I love you. On your best day, I love you. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Red Rocks Church, I'm a loved child of God, and that has not and will not ever change. You're a loved child of God. 
and it has not, and it will not ever change. And I want to encourage you to start spending some time in the word and let your heavenly father remind you of that because he wants to come over and hang, but you need to be in his word. It doesn't work when somebody else tells you, does it? My mom told me my whole life growing up, Jesus loves you. Didn't register once. I read 1 John 3, 1, and I actually put it on the back of this necklace because when God speaks, it's different. I don't want hearsay. I want, I, want, I, want it from, I want it from the horse's mouth, right? And that's what that, the third thing I love about the Bible is it shows us the path to salvation. And again, I don't want to hear it from somebody else. I need to hear it from the source because I'm my worst critic and I've figured out every way in the world why it won't apply to me. So you could tell me he wants me and loves me and accepts me, but unless I hear it from him myself, something it's different, isn't it? Take a screenshot of these, these three verses. This is for anyone who has not put their faith in Jesus yet or anyone who in the future thinks they might talk to somebody about putting their faith in Jesus. Because the Bible makes it so simple. God says, let me give you the path. I don't, I don't just want to tell you I love you. I want to show you how much by sending my son to die. And then I want to give you eternal salvation. And these three verses describe it so that we can be eye to eye, face to face for all of eternity. And this is it, right? This is it in a nutshell. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is death or eternal separation from God in a place that the Bible calls hell. But God said, no, 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 that's not my plan for any of you because the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And who's this apply to? Every single person who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love the Bible because it shows us the path to salvation. Otherwise, it's hearsay and wishful thinking. But the Bible, the Bible reminds me, no, 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 no. I'm not saved because of my stuff. I'm saved because of what he did. The fourth thing I love about the Bible and the reason I think it'll change your life is because it reminds me of that very grace and it reminds me often. And man, I need it because with nothing but the best of intentions. Don't we start a relationship with God and go, God, I'm all in. God, let's do this. And then we make some mistakes, but we're like, that's okay. I'm brand new to this thing. And we repent and we're all right. But then a year or two passes and we make the similar mistakes and we're like, I should be better. I got to do better with nothing but the best of intentions. And it turns into this thing. We're like, if I work hard enough, God will be proud of me. If I work hard enough, God will love me. I need constant reminders of grace. You don't get my love because you work hard enough. You don't get my salvation because you work hard enough. You're my son. You're my daughter. Let me remind you in my word. It's by grace that you've been saved, not hired through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. Yeah, but you've given me so many chances, God. Aren't you fed up with me yet? Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, the gifts and his call are irrevocable. And put up Romans 8 one more time. I'm going to reread it. I know that's dangerous to read the same passage twice, especially when Doug made us have five reasons. But I just, I just want you to get it. I want, you to, I want this verse to become party. I want you to be able to walk out of here today or shut down your laptop today or turn off your phone today and go, this is me. I'm convinced. Not because somebody else told me, because God told me. I'm just convinced that no matter what I've been through, Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor powers, height, death, anything in all creation 
will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We need constant reminders of this amazing grace. And so let today be that for you, a constant reminder that God has amazing grace for you. And and he doesn't love you because you work for it. He loves you because who you are, you're his child. And the fifth and final reason why I think the Bible will change your life is because God speaks to us through it. He speaks to me through it, and he wants to speak to you through it. Psalm 119, 105 says this, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. He says, I know how you are. You want a spotlight down that path. Like we want, you know, those lights that go in the air and you see them from 50 miles away. I want one of those on my path. And I've, I've often asked God, like, why don't you give me one of those? And I, I've come up with my own answer. I don't know if it's true. I think it's because I couldn't handle it, right? You can't handle the truth. I think that's it. Like for me, if he'd have told me when we started the church that 2020 was coming, I never would have moved to Denver. Just wouldn't have, because who wants to do that? Can't handle it. But he says, what you can handle is, and what will keep you real close to me, and what will remind you of my love and my grace and my forgiveness and my mercy for you every single day, is if you get in my word, it'll be like a lamp over a dark path, because you're broken people in a broken world, and it's like you're walking along this dark path. And he says, I'll light up one step for you today. I'll light up one step for you today, moment by moment, day by day, sometimes if we're lucky, week by week. But he says, take my word and use it like a lamp. I created you. I created communication. I gave you my word. I want to speak, and I'll guide you every single step of the way. If you'll let me, son, if you'll let me, daughter, what if the Bible wasn't a guilt thing anymore for you? What if it wasn't a, oh my gosh, God's so mad, it's been 28 days? What if it was, oh my gosh, my dad's like this in the driveway going, if you come home today, I'm going to hug you like crazy, and I'm going to be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path, and we got some decisions to make, don't we, son? Don't we, daughter? Let's go get this thing. You go, is that that fancy church talk? Because it sounds like fancy church talk, that this book is a lamp in my path and a decision And the truth is, I can't fully explain how God communicates to us through his word because I'm not God. But I know that he says he wants to and he says that he will and he gave us his word and I've just experienced it. When I got saved at 24, I went back to L.A. where I lived and I made it like three weeks of smoking cigarettes and reading my Bible at a coffee shop. And then finally one night I just went, I'm out. And I went out with my friends And I think I did more drugs that night than I'd ever done in one night of my life. Almost OD'd. It was bad. Wouldn't you know it, the very next morning, the pastor's wife from that church in Illinois calls me, and she's like, I just wanted to see how you're doing. Your new relationship with Jesus. Why didn't you call yesterday? Yesterday, I had a great report. My only issue was Marlboro Reds. Now I got real issues. She's like, you know, well, the Bible says not to live right next to temptation, not to stay next to it, not to hang out with it, but to actually run away from it. She's like, you ought to move. 
I met you a month ago, lady. <laughs> like, my life is right here in LA. All my friends, all my dreams, like everything I own, I live here. I want a chance in the world I was moving because some lady I met a month ago said it. She said, can I read you one verse? Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with some people along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And all of a sudden, it wasn't somebody telling me I ought to consider my life. It was God himself. And I literally knew it. I was like, God spoke to me today and I need to move. I need to literally walk away from everything I thought was going to define me because God just spoke to me. If that moment doesn't happen for me, I don't meet Jill. I don't have Ethan Austin and Ashton. I never become a pastor. I don't work at Red Rocks. I'm not here today. You want to talk about the Bible being able to change somebody's life. I'm not just saying churchy things uh, because I happen to be a pastor. I'm telling you, I've lived it. The Bible will change your life, and God wants to speak. I felt like I wanted to intern to be a pastor, and it was a shock to me. I'd been in Illinois for a while, but the thought in my head was, I'm, I'm too stupid. <laughs> like, I just am. I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't even grow up going to much church. I don't know any of the stories. I don't understand most everything I hear people talk about. Like I, but there was something in here that was like, no, no, it's, do it. I couldn't, and I read a verse. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And one day, I literally read that verse sitting in the sanctuary at that church in Illinois, and I felt like God said, if you just stay close to me, if you just stay in my word, if you just stay close to me, I'm not looking for qualified. I'm looking for called that I'll equip. That's what I'm looking for. And you're called, and if you'll stay close to me, I'll equip you. Let's go. The next day, I signed up for the internship. I decided at that point I was not going to date any girls, no matter if they went to church or not, if I didn't think they were sold out for Jesus. I came to that decision by reading the, the Bible. I read a verse one day, and that was my decision. I read a verse one day, and I decided I'm going to be pure now. I've messed up a whole bunch but I'm going to be pure now until marriage changed the course of my life. Several years ago, somebody came to the church with a stack of papers this high and said, God sent me here to tell you all the things you do wrong. Kid you not. I was like, wow, God has been busy with you. But it wrecked me. And the truth is, it made me want to quit. Went to New York with my wife and some friends, and we went to a church conference. And the, I was like, God, speak to me at this conference. And the first night going to the conference, we got in the subway. And I didn't realize you shouldn't get in the subway at 5 o'clock in New York if you are claustrophobic. <laughs> Full-on panic attack, middle of the subway. They stop in the middle of the subway. We're in the tunnel. The doors are like this. There's brick walls all around it. It's in a black tunnel. We're like this. And the voice comes on going, there's some technical difficulties with the, I'm like, Jill, pray for me. <laughs> and 
Man, I didn't even want to go back. I hated the whole experience. We stayed after the conference, went to a church service. This church happened to have a guest preacher from another country, and he read a Bible verse that I've heard a billion times. I could quote it before he read it, but because God's word is alive and active, and he created us, and he created communication, and he gave us his word and says, if you'll get into it, I'll speak. I heard a verse I'd heard a whole bunch of times, and he spoke to me something totally different. It's Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, and I've read it so many times. I'm like, I know. I got a plan. I know. My life has plans. My life has hope. My life has a future. I got it. I'm sitting in that church service, and I can't, I can't tell you. God was like, he spoke to me. He said, no, 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 the first five words. For I know the plans. He's, and, and it was clear as day. Like, Sean, your, your critics didn't call you. I did. Your parents didn't call you. I did. Your family doesn't have the plans for you. I do. Social media doesn't have the plans for you. I do. The people who don't like you don't have the plans for you. I do. The people who like you don't have the plans for you. I do. So just listen to me, and let's go walk in that calling with some freedom. I'm telling you, the, Lord, the word of the Lord speaks, but we got to be in it. Band, you can come up. Here's what I know. I know that it's easy for me to get up here and share stories, and it's still easy for you to sit there and go, yeah, 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 but I'm me, and I just don't get it. It feels ethereal a lot, right? I was, with, um, I was with my wife. This was just, I think, a couple weeks ago. We were at Ashton's football game. He's uh, in seventh grade. And we went to this sports complex, and I don't know how many fields were there. I think over 20. We were on field seven. As you pull in, there's like four soccer fields right here, and then here's our football field. And on these four soccer fields are like all the players are this high, all right? It's kid soccer, which is just herding cats. And I, I was a coach. And so there's, you know, 10, 15, 10, 18, 10, not 18, probably 10, 10, 10 kids on a team, we'll say that. Every kid had somebody drive them there. Sometimes a whole family came, and there's all kinds of, go get him, go, yay, oh, he didn't trip, yay, oh, look, he scored, yay, oh, he scored in the wrong goal, yay, look at that. Like, all parents are yelling and screaming, and all the teams and families from the last game are leaving, and all the teams and families that are about to play next are coming in, and there's referees and whistles and parents, and I mean, it's pandemonium. And on our field, seventh grade football is, let me just tell you what, in Colorado is not for the faint of heart. Right? On our field, it's not quite so cute. On our field, it's real serious. And, and both teams are huge, and both teams have head coaches, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, special teams, multiple managers. I mean, it's an organization, and the language is colorful to say the least. And parents often fight during the games, and the refs are yelling at the coaches, and the coaches are yelling at the refs, and this parent's yelling at that parent over there, and that parent's yelling. It's crazy. And Ashton was over near the edge of the field, and I was sitting in my chair, and I got a comfy chair with a little shade block. It's not my first rodeo. Third kid. I'm in my comfy chair, and I see Ashton over there, and I mean, it's just noise. Everything's... I went like this. I go... Two, 
in the middle of all that craziness, my son Ashton literally goes, and say a word, I went like this. I've been doing that with all three of my boys since they were like each about three, four years old and started playing sports. Because they like to play and then watch and see if dad was watching. Every time they look up, they know. It means I love you. I got you. I'm here. Good day, bad day. Good game, bad game. Not going anywhere. Always in your corner, son. Love you so much. So proud of you. Win or lose, I'm so proud of you. I never said his actual name. I never said I love you. I never said I'm here. I never said I got you. I never said I'm proud of you. See, we've communicated so much when it's just us in private that he recognizes my voice and my communication and he knows what I'm saying to him in chaos. I told you all those verses that changed my life. Not one of them said, Sean. Not one of them said, intern. Not one of them said, Red Rocks Church. Not one of them said, Jill. But just trying, just getting in the word and trying. Eventually, I start to recognize God's still small voice because I'll be reading the scripture and I'll get this little voice and it goes, that's for you today. That's for you today. And I start to get familiar with this voice when it's just me and him. And then I get out in the middle of the chaos of life and I start to recognize that voice. We have a God who created us, who created communication and gave us the Bible and says, I want to speak. Our only, our only question we have to answer is, am I willing to listen? It's not a matter of performing. Am I willing to try? Because if I am, the God who creates us and communication and gave us his word says, I'll speak in ways you don't have to understand. But when I do, you'll know I'm speaking and you'll know what I'm saying. And that's what I want for you, church. Get rid of that. I feel stupid. Picture that dad with open arms in the driveway going, I can't wait to speak today, son. I can't wait to speak today, daughter. Let's hang. Amen. God, I thank you that you gave us your word. I thank you that you care enough to communicate with us about every single area of our life. So God, I just pray for some, some newfound freedom that all guilt would be thrown out, that we would be reminded we don't read the Bible so you'll like us more. We don't read the Bible because it's a ritual or a chore. We read the Bible because it's just an opportunity to experience some quality time and love from our Father. And God, I pray there are people listening to this literally around the world who are in the middle of making huge decisions right now for their lives, that are in the middle of all kinds of struggles and confusion without answers. And I pray as we begin to guilt-free get into your word, that you would begin to bring us a peace and a confidence and a joy, and you would do what you say. Be that lamp 
to our feet and that light to our path and give us some confidence knowing that we're hanging out with our heavenly father. He really, really loves us and he's got something to say today in Jesus name. And everybody at every campus said, amen. Would you stand up with me? Let's worship.